So this morning, I want to pull from the life of David some failures and some victories, and I want to show us how to finish this year well so that we can start next year even better. If you know the story, if you're familiar with the story of David, you know that from the time he was about 16 years old until he was king was a long time. It was a long time. You got to remember, he wasn't even invited to the anointing party. They had to go get him in the field. Then he, he gets anointed. He goes out and he fights and kills Goliath. Then he gets brought into the kingdom, but he's still not able to be king. It's a long time. Then he has to go through the whole assault of Saul trying to kill him. He's running for his life. All of that's going on in David's life. Think about it. From age 16 till probably he's in his 30s or 40s, he doesn't become king, and he's going through all of that trouble the whole time knowing that he's been anointed to be king. And now we pick up the story where David's becoming the king. It's finally starting to happen. Come on, you know how it, what it feels like when you're finally starting to get something to go the right way. You ever like that? You're like, finally. Don't celebrate too much because sometimes you end up with more trouble. <laughs> David's journey was tough. He's becoming king now. And and David's life, if you study the life of David, you start to understand that David was a man of honor. Listen to this. David was a man of honor. When he was watching his daddy's sheep, he was singing and dancing in the fields. I know our, our, our masculinity says, I ain't dancing in no field. I ain't singing out loud. That ain't manly. Well, David was a man. He killed Goliath. In fact, God said he was a man after his own heart. If the brother danced, played a a harp, and and sang out in the middle of the pasture, maybe we're doing something wrong. I don't know. But David David was a man of honor. He honored his God. He he first learned how to honor God by honoring his mother and his father. He he kept he kept his father's sheep, wouldn't let the bear and the lion steal him because he wanted to honor his father. David goes to fight Goliath. You know why he kills Goliath? Because Goliath was dishonoring God before the whole nation of God's people. David walks, walks up with a lunch pail and hears this big old giant talking trash about his God and watch all this nation of men stand by and do nothing. David goes, you know what? Y'all ain't going to do nothing. I'm going to do something. And compelled to shut this guy up and honor his God, David walks out to fight a giant in his life. Then he, then he becomes, a, then he's anointed, then he's in, the king, and he's in the kingdom, and then now Saul wants to kill him. Multiple times he had Saul in a cave and he could have took Saul's life, but he didn't. You know why? Because it would have dishonored God. David was a man of honor. His life was was surrounded and centered on honoring God, bringing God glory. Everything that he did was to bring God glory. We pick up the story. David's becoming king and David... David wants to honor God once again, and he wants to bring the ark of God. Now watch this. He wants to bring the ark of God from the place that Saul left it back to Jerusalem, the place that God wanted it. Now the ark of God, very simply put, was basically a big box wrapped in gold, had an an incredible lid on it that was beautiful and ornate and all this. Inside the box was the the tablets for the Ten Commandments, um, Aaron's rod was in there. Um, 
some manna from when God fell manna. And a lot of those articles were in that box, but it was called the Ark of God and it represented the presence of God. So they would go everywhere they would go, they would take the Ark with them. In other words, they would take the presence of God with them. It was important. Say it's important. They took the presence of God with them. The Bible says that when they would march out to war, they would walk 2,600 feet in front of the army with the Ark of God. That's how specific and detailed God was about his presence. David wanted to get the ark of God from where it was and bring it back to Jerusalem. He wanted to honor God in doing so. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so excited to do something that you didn't quite follow all the rules? Okay, nobody's going to raise your hand for that one. That's okay. Confession is good for the soul. David wanted to bring the ark back. Wanted to bring it back to Jerusalem. So he says, man, he he gathers up a bunch of of good guys, good men, and he says, man, we're going to get the ark and we're going to bring it back and, and place it in Jerusalem. And so he does and he goes and he grabs the ark and they're on their way back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he has, he has two good men standing on each side of the ark in case it starts to stumble. They can, they can be there just to keep it from falling. It was very, listen, there was rules and regulations on how you handled the ark. And David didn't follow the rules. Anybody guilty of that? David didn't follow the rules, but his heart was right. He was trying to do the right thing. And he gets the ark and he's heading back to Jerusalem with it. And the Bible says that it started to tip over. And one of the guys standing on each side of it, was named, his name was Uzzah. And Uzzah reaches out his hand to, to keep it from falling. And when he does, in that moment, he broke God's law. God strikes him dead. Right there. Say this with me. God takes his presence seriously. David, the Bible says, gets angry at God, which I I think later turns his anger towards himself when he realizes he's the one that messed up. So here's David. He's finally becoming king, and he wants to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, and he does it full of zeal, full of passion. Let's go get the ark. Let's go do it. And they, they grab a hold of it, and they're coming back, and he loses a good man in the process simply because he did it his way and not God's way. I go, man, David was riding high. David's finally getting to be king. Things are going his way. It's, it's, it's looking good for the home team. Come on, somebody, right? And it's like, whoa, man, is this about to happen? And then in a moment, he has one of, the, one of the greatest failures of his life. He loses Uzzah. Whose responsibility was it? It was David's. Who had to take responsibility for it? David did. David had to own it, the Bible says. Think about that. Think about how David felt when Uzzah hit the ground. They wasn't all the way back to Jerusalem yet. They may have been only halfway. I don't know. But they were at this place. At this guy, they were close to this guy's house. So they end up leaving the ark at this guy's house. His name is Obed-Edom. First Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. It says, the ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. Say everything. Now, here's just a side note. A little mini sermon within a sermon. I'm not going to stay on this long. But listen to what, just, what was just read. 
I think Obed is the, the luckiest guy in the whole world. He gets to host the presence of God for three solid months. The Bible says that he was blessed and everything he owned was blessed. Why was that? Because where the presence is, the blessings are. Come on. Where God's presence is, is where his blessings are. When God's presence comes, so does his blessings. How many of you want the blessings of God for 2019? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, check your pulse. I want the blessings of God. The blessings of God come with the presence of God. That means I want to keep the presence of God. Amen? I go, man, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of Obed because he got, to, he got to host the presence of God for three months. And the Bible says that his, everything he had was blessed. If he had a dog, it was blessed. Even if he had a cat, it was blessed. If he had a hamster, it was blessed. Everything. Some of you are thinking, I bless my cat. Yeah. So how do we stay in the presence of God? Very simple answer. Very short answer. By obedience. Plain and simple. But we'll preach that message another day. So God, God takes this moment with David. And this, is, this just shows the... The supremacy of God. It shows the bigness of God. David fails. God strikes a man down. David's at a low point in his life. And then the next chapter, the Bible says that God lays on the heart of a king nearby to send David materials to build buildings with. And I go, huh, for his own personal use. Build him a palace, build him some whatever kind of buildings he wants, smoke house, you know, barn. I mean, whatever David wanted. He was, God laid on the heart of the king to send David these materials to build his own place. And, and something in my mind just doesn't sit right because I go, but yeah, he just messed up though. Isn't he supposed to pay for that? He just messed up. God, aren't you still mad at him? He messed up. Aren't you giving him the silent treatment? Lord, he just failed. Aren't you giving him the cold shoulder? Come on, spouses. Right? God starts to bless him. Then the Bible says in the same chapter, the very next chapter, that the Philistines gather up all their forces to come against David because they realize David's becoming king. And the Bible says they're coming at David, at Israel. And David says this, Lord, do you want me to go and fight? And the Lord says, yes, go straight at him and I'm going to give you victory. So David takes his army, marches straight at him. Boom, gives him victory. The rest of them flee. Well, they regroup a couple weeks later, maybe, and then they come back again. And David says, Lord, do you want me to go after him again? He says, yes, but this time we're going to do it different. This time you're going to surround them. And when you hear the noise in the trees, that's going to be my army, my angel army marching over you. When that happens, attack them from all, all, all sides and you'll, you'll, you'll win. And so they, they won again. God gave him victory twice back in a row. Back to back, God gave David victory. I go, but he just failed. He just blew it. He, he, he just missed it. He didn't listen to the instructions. You see, there were laws. 
to tell you how to handle the ark of the, uh, the ark of, the, of God. That there were specific laws, very detailed, structured laws on how to handle God's presence. And I, I wonder today, because God's given us His laws. He's given us his encouragement. He's given us his blessings. He's given us his promises. He's given us his warnings. All because he loves us and cares for us. But if we choose not to listen to him and not to follow them, then maybe that's why we keep falling. You can know the instructions but not do what they say. You ever try to put a swing set together for your kids? Come on, men. I got this. Four days later, what the instructions is? One of my greatest failures. You see, we have to pace our life at such a pace that we can still hang on to the instructions. And I get it. Listen, I'm, I'm glad David was excited. I love new believers because they're excited. They'll, they'll roll up into Walmart. Hold on, I'm going front row, baby. And they'll show enough to be a front row parking lot. And they got faith for everything. If the cat's sick, that cat's going to be healed in Jesus' name. And boom, the cat resurrects from the dead. I don't know how, but it does. And it doesn't even take a life from it. But you got to follow the instructions, Right? You got to follow the instructions. And I go, man, God, you're blessing David. Lord, you're blessing him when he fails. You're blessing him. It's like, I'm like, part of me, part of my flesh goes, Lord, you're, it's like you're rewarding his failure. Does anybody else think that way? It's like, Lord, you're, you're rewarding his failure. And the reason I think that way is because my failure was never rewarded. <laughs> I never got an F and a treat at the same time. <laughs> right? I was always punished, always given a cold shoulder. When my grandma got mad at me, she wouldn't talk to you. She would talk through slamming the cabinet doors and creating this tension in the room where you didn't feel welcomed and you felt condemned. And and then I come into this relationship with God and now it's different. It's like, man, God, what what are you talking about? I mean, like, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been an idiot. I failed. Lord, help me. I need your help. And he goes, it's going to be okay. Come on, get back up. Let me knock this off of you. Let's keep going. Come on. And I'm almost like, really? Really? And as I'm studying this and I'm I'm pondering all these things, I'm sitting here thinking, and the Holy Spirit brings this verse to, to remembrance. It's from the New Testament. It says, but the goodness of God draws men to repentance. What turns a man around that's running from God? What turns him around? Because repentance is, I was going this way, but I'm going to repent and go back this way. We don't ask for repentance. We do repentance. Amen. We ask for forgiveness, and then we turn and go the other way. What turns a man who's running from God or running into his failures? What turns him? It's the goodness of God. So then I go, wait a minute. God blessed him. And he just failed because God didn't want him to stay in his failure. He wanted him to turn and go a different direction. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? (laughs) This is the God we serve. It makes no sense. But, but pastor, does God punish us? He lets us, he lets us deal with consequences. Don't put gas in your car. You're going to be on the side of the road. 
Right? God blesses him and turns him around. I'm going, man, God, you're so awesome. And I just don't learn that from the life of David. I learn that from my own life. And how many times God's, God's used his goodness to turn my heart instead of his paddle, instead of his hand. Come on. Let me tell you something. You don't break until you break under God's goodness. It's one thing to break under his wrath. It's another thing to break under his goodness. Because his goodness puts us back in our rightful place and it puts him back in his rightful place, which is this. His his ways are higher, are greater than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He sees the end from the beginning. He's got a destination for my life. He's not going to let this failure keep me down. Come on, somebody. He's saying, get up. Let's keep going. It's going to be all right. I'm going to bless you in your mess. If God punished everything I did wrong, I wouldn't be standing here. Neither would you. So God's blessing him, and it's just it's incredible. And I go, man, God, you turned him around, and he, he, he gives him gifts, and then he gives him victory and everything that he lays his hands to. And then the Bible says in, in chapter 15, uh, uh, verse 2, David, David learned the lesson from the past. David learned from his previous mistake. David didn't just make the mistake and, and go hide from it and, and try not to talk about it and try not to, you know, he, he didn't just get embarrassed and try to hide. David decided, I'm just going to keep living. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm going to grab a lesson from my failure. What did I do wrong? A little self-evaluation. What did I do wrong? Why did I lose Uzzah? Self-examination. And this time, three months later, David gets it right. Watch what he says. Verse 2, chapter 15 says, Then he commanded, No one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. David learned a lesson from the past. The Levites, who were the priests, were supposed to handle the ark, handle the presence of God. David neglected that law, that rule, and he went around it and did something different and paid a price for it. Amen? But now he learned a lesson from his past, and he said, okay, nobody but the Levites are going to touch the ark. Now watch this. He then takes 862 men to move the ark. Levites, and he does it right. Here's the amazing thing that I've learned about God is that when I blow it, when I mess up, when I handle it wrong, when I do the wrong thing, if I'll stay in it, if I won't quit, if I'll stay in it, God will give me another chance. And if I'll stop long enough to think about what happened and ask God to give me wisdom for the next time, I'll get it right next time. And let me tell you, there's nothing like failing one time and then trusting God to get it right the next time and then getting it right. There's nothing more rewarding to that. You can't even pay me. It's like, I don't want your money. I got the experience. Right? So David gets it right. Failure is never final with God. 
heard Pastor Bubba say that years ago. Failure is never final with God. And I got to remind myself of that. Because maybe you're like me. Maybe there's somebody else in this room like me. I'm, I'm hardest on myself. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. I'm the hardest. I'm, I hate to make mistakes. And when I make them, and when I fail, and when I do something stupid, you don't have to punish me usually. I usually beat myself down. And if I'm not careful, I'll stay down. It's hard for me to get back up sometimes because I'm so critical and judgmental of myself. I've had to learn how to forgive myself. David's moving the ark into Jerusalem. He's doing it the right way this time. Here's what I find amazing is David is doing it God's way and not his way. Biggest game changer in this whole story is that David starts to do it God's way and not his way. I was in business for nine years for myself. I was self-employed businessman. I said, Lord, I need your help. I was uneducated and didn't have much experience in the field I went into. Went at it. Lord, I need your help. Most of the time I did it my way because I'm a hard worker and I can make some stuff happen. But I fought to do it his way. And when I learned to do it his way instead of my way, it came a whole lot easier. Come on. It came a whole lot easier. I didn't have to strain as hard, but it required me to slow down. It required me to prioritize my life. It required me to not put my business before my wife or my kids. It required me to restructure and reorder my life and say, you know what? God, you're number one. Wife's number two. Children are number three. Ministry somewhere else. Work is somewhere else. I need to focus on those three. And when I started to do just that, God started to change some things in my life. Let's be real honest. Some of us in this room, we appreciate ourselves too much. We give ourselves too much credit. The reality is, is me on my best day with my best game ain't squat compared to God. My best game, my best day is small compared to God's ways. So David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He's fired up, and he should be. He should be. He just went through a lot. I mean, he failed in front of the whole nation, lost Uzzah, had to explain to the family why Uzzah's gone. Failure. God blesses him, turns him around. He's bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. Watch how he's acting, because it's important to notice how David's responding to this. First Chronicles fifteen twenty nine. it says this, but as the ark of the Lord's covenant entered the city of David, she saw, his wife saw David, saw King David skipping about and laughing with joy. The Bible says she actually got mad at him. She was embarrassed by him. King David, who's supposed to be carried around on a, a card or something high and mighty, he's bringing the ark back and he's skipping through town. Come on, somebody. He's shouting. I would skip for you, but I might pull something. Stuff's been breaking easy lately, so I'm going to take it easy. But, but he's skipping into town. He's shouting. He's dancing. He's laughing, the Bible says. Why? Because his soul was going, we got it right. We got it right. We slowed down enough and listened to God, did it his way. We got it right, and now this is victory. Is that not rewarding? 
Is it not rewarding to know that I did what God wanted me to do and we got it right? His wife was embarrassed and got mad at him. You know what I love about the Old Testament old schoolers? They would sing what they felt. They would just bust up in song. And David was like the worship leader. I mean, David's like king, but he would like whatever he was feeling, he would sing it. I guess that's where we got musicals from. I don't know. But David would just start singing. And so David's coming into town, skipping and laughing. And then he starts singing a new song, the Bible says. And he actually tells the priest to write this song down. It's like, take, copyright this. This is David's, you know, top 100 hits or whatever. And, and, and you know, what a copyright do what you got to do. But this is, this is the song I want you to sing. Watch what he says in his song. Chapter 16, verse 12 and verse 15. It's about midway through the song. Remember the wonders he has performed. So the wonders. His miracles. Remember the, the miracles. And the rulings. What? Remember the wonders. Remember the miracles. And remember the rulings. My soul goes, hold up, what? What you said? Remember the wonders, remember the miracles, remember the rulings? Like you want me to celebrate the rules? Yeah. Because you see the rules are what helped David get it right. Come on. When he failed, he went back to the instructions and said, okay, what did I do wrong? Read the instructions. Ah, that's where I missed it. Gosh, Lord, thank you for your rules. All of this is for us to give us an abundant life, not to hurt you. When it says not to get drunk, it's because you don't need to be drunk. It's never benefited anybody's life. I'm not going to go into all the other things it says. You see it? He gives it to us because he loves us and cares for us. Then he says this, verse 15 Remember his covenant forever. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. Can you swallow that today? Let's remember God's wonders. Let's remember his miracles. Let's remember his rulings. I'll try. Let's remember his commitment to a thousand generations. Wow. David comes rolling into town three months after his most embarrassing moment with one of his greatest victories. I want to give you four thoughts about finishing well, then I'm going to wrap it up. Number one, we got to leave yesterday behind, but don't forget to bring the lessons with you. Leave yesterday behind. The Bible's very clear. Don't get stuck in the past. Some of you this morning, you're stuck in the past. You're still mad at people from their past. You're still mad about some things that happened in the past. And God's going, when are you going to get past your past? Right? So don't let the past hold you down. Start something new. Wake up to a new mercy and a new grace. Get into something new and get out of the old. Amen? My encouragement is, but don't forget the lessons from the past. 
right? Leave the pain. Don't take the pain with you. Don't take the frustration. Don't take the emotions. Don't take the hurt. Don't take the drama. Don't take the junk. Just grab the lessons and let's go. Because if you leave the lessons, you're not ready for the next season. Come on. You got to take the lessons with you. But you can't stay stuck in the past. Watch what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. One thing. If Paul says I focus on one thing, we need to pay attention. We need to focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Some of you have been severely hurt this year. There's stories in this room right now that if, if, if I would share you these stories, none of you would walk out with a dry eye. Many of you have, have gone through some serious disappointment, loss, hurt, pain. And I'm not saying that you need to take that lightly. I'm just saying, how long are you going to stick with it? How long are you going to hang on to it? Because it's going to keep you from enjoying where you're going. Come on, you burn your hand in the kitchen once, doesn't mean you quit cooking. Right? Don't let it hold you back. Don't let your past mess up your future. Oh, this, this is a big one for marriage. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's huge for marriage because you see what marriage is, is two wrecked people coming together and bringing their wrecks with them. Can I get an amen? And then you spend most of your life trying to sort out the wrecks and the pieces and all this and trying to figure out why they acting like this and why you acting like this. It's all coming from their past. The past doesn't magically disappear. We have to process it. We have to to deal with it. We need to walk with God through our past and let him speak reality and truth to your past. Let him reposition your perspective of your past so that you can receive healing from it and then walk into your tomorrow better than your past. Amen? That's why we stress so much premarital counseling because we want to deal with it on the front side (laughs) so we don't have to deal with it on the back side. Come on. Paul says, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So watch this. It's like God's at the finish line and he said, hey, come on. You got this. Come on, keep going. And when you trip and fall, all right, get up, get up, get up. Come on, keep going. I know you're limping. Keep coming. Come on, keep coming. You see it? His Holy Spirit is over here. When you fall, the Holy Spirit's going, come on, champ. Get up. Come on. You got to get this stuff off your knees because it hurts, right? Come on, keep going. Keep going. Come on. I'm going to help you. Come on. Let me help you. And the Holy Spirit's helping you. And God, through Christ, is calling you to the finish line. You can't get to the finish line if you keep pouting on the ground. Powders don't finish. I say that lovingly. They don't finish. 
They stay where they are. Seen a parent one time, kid threw itself on the floor in Walmart. It's genius. Kid goes, and the mama goes, hey, my child. I said, that's the best thing you could have done. Ain't my child, somebody else's kid. <laughs> so let your yesterday be yesterday. Don't bring it with you for tomorrow. Refuse to let it hold you back. Stay focused on the prize. Number two, recognize God's ways and yield to them instead of your ways. Come on, this is a hard one. Let's just get real. Because it requires you to humble yourself. Uh-oh. It requires you to think less of yourself. Uh-oh. It requires you to realize you're not all that. <laughs> How you like me now? <laughs> it requires you to put yourself in a proper position and to put God in a proper position. Because when I can do it myself and I don't need God, I'm full of pride. And I'm full of arrogance. And the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Recognize God's ways. How do we do that? Take some responsibility and open up the book and start to learn his ways. See how, and don't get all religious. Well, I'm just going to read the New Testament because it's nicer than the Old Testament. No, you need to read the, New, the Old Testament because God can still strike people down. If he chooses to, and you don't need to forget that, but you need to read the new Testament too, because that's what grace is. Learn his ways and then yield to them. You know what that means? Take the time to say, I want to do it this way. I feel like God wants to go this way. Dang. Means I'm going to have to trust him. I don't like to yield. I don't like getting on the interstate behind other people because they're too slow. You don't get on the interstate at 45. Come on, anybody feel my pain? I don't want to yield. I don't want to slow down. I want to hurry and get where I'm going. I don't want to wait to hear from God. I don't want to get his instructions. I don't want to wait to hear his voice. Recognize God's ways and yield to them instead of your own. Can I be honest with you? I struggle with this one. I really do. I know there's other people in here. You just have a hard time slowing down. Would you raise your hand to make me feel better? Okay. Thank God. You know know what's hard for me? I'm going to show you what's hard for me. This is what's hard for me. Am I right, Cheryl? On my day off, I'm still busy. When I'm taking it easy, I'm still working. Share a quick story with you. I was at the cattle lease the other day checking my cows, and I planted some ryegrass on the north side of the pasture, and I'm walking to go see how the ryegrass is growing. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4.30, something like that. And I'm walking, and I don't even realize... How many, of you, how many of you just move fast and you don't even realize you're moving fast? And your family's like, slow down. And you're like, what? I'm chilling. 
you ain't chilling. And so I don't even realize I'm walking fast, and, and I'm, I'm, I go, I check everything, and I'm walking back, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, slow down. And I was like, okay, why are you in a hurry? And in that moment, I realized my heart rate was elevated. My breathing was, was elevated. I'm going, wow. He said, sit down. I'm going to show you something. And there happened to be an old white washtub. And so I flipped it upside down. I'm sitting there. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, God's going to show me something. And this is hard. Okay, it was really hard when the mosquitoes came out. (laughs) That's when it was the hardest. Because I don't like mosquitoes. They take my blood. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, okay, Lord's going to show me something. There's going to be a deer. And I hope it's not a bear. If the bear's hungry, I can't outrun a bear. A deer's not going to try to eat me. I'm like, maybe it's going to be like a 12-point buck. And I'm like, so I'm kind of, I'm at first I'm kind of anxious. I'm like, Lord, what are you going to show me? And about 30 minutes goes by, and I'm like, and I'm praying. I'm, you know, I'm not just sitting there just being quiet. That's hard to do. So I'm praying. I'm, I'm thanking God. You know, have, it was a great moment. If I didn't see anything, it was a great moment, right? And so I'm, I'm there, and finally I'm like, okay, <laughs> this thing ain't coming. <laughs> it didn't get the message from God. I did. It didn't. The, the deer went right. It should have went left. I don't know. And so I get up, and I go, Lord, thank you. It was an incredible time. I love you. I need to get going. And I get about from here to the other side of the stage, and the Holy Spirit says, that's it? And I turned around, and I looked at the wash tub, and I went, I need to learn how to slow down. And I walked back. And I sat down for 10 more minutes and, and prayed some more, didn't see nothing. And I was kind of like, you know, Lord, I know you said you was going to show me something, but I mean, I'm cool if I don't see it. Can I go? <laughs> I'm just being real with you. It's hard, man. It's hard. Can I go? <laughs> and then finally, I, I, I got up, went to my truck, loaded my tractor on the trailer, Locked the gate, heading home, passing down this road. I passed down 10 times a week just to go back and forth to the lease. And there's this nice little house. If I'm coming home, it's on my left. Nice little house. Guy just dug a pond, put up a nice-looking fence. All is square and symmetrical. Brings peace to my soul. And, and I, I like to watch what he does. He's, he was rebuilding some shutters for his house, and he left them outside. So I got to see what he was doing as I'm passing. I'm nosy. And, and so I'm passing by, and I'm coming to his house, and by this time it's dark. And, and from, I guess it was the moonlight or something, I could see black smoke coming up behind his house. And I'm like, and he's always doing stuff outside. I'm like, oh, he's burning something. He may wait till it got dark and burn a tire, you know what I'm saying? Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's not good for the environment. So I'm, I'm, I'm rolling up in my little red truck, and I get past his house, and I look, and there's a fire on the side of his house. It's up to the eaves on the house. It's probably as wide as half of this stage, maybe, maybe a third. And I was like, oh, man, and I pull into the road next to him. I jump out, and at the same time, two ladies come pulling in from the neighborhood, and they're freaking, oh, my God, what are we going to 
to do? And I, I went into rescue mode. I'm, I didn't even volunteer for the fire department, but I was like, I went into the mode, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I jump out, man. I, dude had a jacked up water hose. I had to, I was like, dang, bro, get a new water hose. And I'm screwing his water hose on. I had to rip his insulator off. Sorry about that. And I had to rip that off. And, and I start spraying this out, and, and we're putting the fire out. I'm putting the fire out, and I'm going, and I'm sitting here the whole time. And he's, he's like, what the hell? I was like, call 911. And, and I'm spraying, and there's not much pressure. I'm spraying, and finally I get the fire to come down. And I'm going, and the whole time I'm going, I'm saving somebody's house. They're not even home. It wasn't on my schedule. Wasn't in my plans. And I would spray the brick. And when I would take the water off, it would go, it would dry up. That's how hot it got. And finally, the, they, they got a hold of the, they called 911. They got a hold of the mama. And she came and she had access to the house. She said, what do I do? I said, go inside, see if the inside's burning. She's like, okay. And she comes back, she says, the inside's okay. I'm like, Phew. good. So I'm spraying and the fire's out. It looked like two garbage cans caught on fire. I'm like, wow. And then all of a sudden the fire department shows up and there's like 50 people. And the first guy shows up and he goes, I need to see the attic. I was like, ooh, I didn't think about the attic. And I was trying to skeet water in the attic, but he didn't have much pressure. He goes in, climbs into the attic, comes right back down and goes, I need a fire extinguisher. Runs back up with a little fire extinguisher and puts the fire out in the attic. When he came down to get the fire extinguisher, I felt in my mind that I went, if I didn't go and sit down the second time for 10 more minutes, I drive by this guy's house. I don't even recognize the fire. And his house catches on fire. I got here when I got here and the attic was just starting to catch on fire. Ten minutes sooner, ten minutes later, ten minutes either way. And it's, this family loses their house for Christmas. I thought I was going to see a deer. I saved somebody's house. And I'm standing there and I'm going, it's like... And these, these two ladies are telling, oh, this guy, he's the hero. He put the house, he saved the house. And I'm getting real uncomfortable. And I'm like, I don't like this. And, and, I, and finally, I saw my exit, and I found a little exit. And I, I snuck out, jumped in a little red, snuck down a little gravel road, and went home. And on my way home, I said, God, you really know what you're doing, don't you? You really know what you're doing. Your ways really are higher than my ways. You really do know what's going on. And you can ask my wife and girls. I walked in the house and I was like, y'all ain't going to believe what just happened. And I was so humbled in that moment because it didn't have nothing to do with me. It was God and his timing. I just listened for once in my life. Amen. Recognize God's ways and yield to them. I don't know. The devil tried to tell me it was a coincidence. I told him to shut up. It wasn't a coincidence. I ain't selling it for no coincidence. God sent me there. Number three, take the time necessary to prepare yourself for the best year yet. Take, take the time necessary to prepare yourself for the best year yet. That's what I'm encouraging you to do today. You've got approximately 36 hours before next year. Okay? You better get busy planning your next year. But you better get busy evaluating this past year. Okay? 
What would happen if you took 2019 and dedicated 10 minutes a day to just sitting on your blessed assurance in a quiet place and saying, Lord, how today go? You know how many minutes we get every day? How many minutes we get in every day? 1,440 minutes. Can you spare 10? Yes, you can. Can you spare 10? Can you spare 10? Can you spare 10? 10. 10 little minutes. What if we just said, I'm going to take 10 minutes every day and sit down and be still and quiet before God and just see what he has to say? Might just change your life. You see, when we fail, when we fail to plan, we plan to fail, right? I'm responsible for next year. I'm responsible for my own spiritual growth. Come on. And then number four, celebrate God and all that he's done in and around you. I want to encourage you to start writing some things down. I got something in my Bible. It's time for a new Bible, but I got something in my Bible. I hate getting new Bibles because you got to break them in. This is from uh, September of 2010. God answered that prayer. I can always go back and read that again. You know why I do that? Because I'm super spiritual. No, because I forget. I just simply forget and I need to write stuff down. What if I started going back through my journal and the things that I've written down and I start celebrating God? Lord, I remember on this date, you did this. Oh my gosh, you told me this was, oh, I'm going to I wrote down the fire story. That's my fire story, right? I'm going to need the faith from that fire story for something I'm going to walk into in my future. Amen. I don't have the fire experience. I'm missing something going into the future. Celebrate what God's doing in you. Watch this. And around you. Because there's sometimes there's not a whole lot happening in your life and you can get bored and you can get disgruntled. I've learned how to steal other people's celebration. Oh, yeah. I talk to people all the time. I talk to Frank. Frank, I ask him all the time, Frank, how's the, how's the crawfish catch going? When he has a good day, I got a good day. Right? I'm celebrating with him. I asked him this morning, Is you, are, you, are your fields flooded? Did you flood out? No, just one field. Praise God. Why? Because I want to stay in the habit of praising God for what he's worthy of. Amen? For what he's doing in me, but also what he's doing around me.